you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Eric Spencer. Welcome, Eric. Hey, Mads. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. I am super duper excited for today's episode, but before we jump into it, it would be awesome if you can tell the audience a little bit about who you are and how you ended up where you are today. Sure. So my name is Eric Spencer. I'm the COO of a company called SkyTeam. We are a boutique leadership development consultancy based here in beautiful Denver, Colorado. Um, the company's been around since 2007. Um, I joined in 2012, so this is the longest job I've ever held. Longest thing I've ever consecutively done in a row. Um, I came into this space uh, via HR. I was a lifer in HR in uh, technology companies, hardware, software, and telecom. Um, I've worked in everything from startups to Fortune 50s. You know, I started uh, at the bottom of the ladder and uh, have held positions as the uh, as the VP of HR in several in several organizations did a few startups and then came into the consulting world in 2012 and haven't looked back since it's been it's been the best been the best job i've ever had in my career and the most fun sounds awesome sounds awesome eric so you guys obviously have a very interesting approach to to management or, or people specifically so do you want to share a little bit with the audience about how you sort of look at the whole people game and from 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 an audience perspective, if you're a small business owner, like how you can get more out of the relationships you have. Yeah, for sure. So you know the world of leadership development is is fantastic. It's it's a fun place to be. It's an it's an exciting space to play in, and it's crowded. There's a very low barrier to entry here in the leadership development space. So I believe everybody needs to bring something special to the party. If you're going to play in the leadership development world, you need to have a very specific cut to what that means and how you approach dealing with issues in the people side of the business space. So our focus is, is on quality and depth of workplace relationships. So much like, you know, Patrick Lencioni and his five dysfunctions of a team, you know, no matter what sort of work we do with a client, we tend to lens everything that we do through this notion of, of relationships, taking intentional stock of where we are in them, which ones uh, are, are okay, which ones are fantastic, which ones need a little work. Um, and whether that's working on an employee issue, working on a management issue, or trying to get everybody around the table on the same page with regard to strategy, it all starts and stops with relationships. You can have the best ideas, the best widgets in, in your workspace, but if you don't get the people stuff right, it's not going to get you where you need to be. Yep. And that's probably where a lot of entrepreneurs are. I mean, lots and lots of entrepreneurs, you know, they have a great idea. They have a potentially great business, but the whole people game, I mean, and, and it starts even from recruitment, right? But Oh, for but, sure. But really the whole people game. And I mean, if we start from the scratch, so recruitment, uh, at, at least my favorite way to to find absolutely amazing people in business is 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 through networking and building relationships right mm -hmm. obviously if you're a big company and you're you're recruiting 
tens and 20 of pe people every month, then obviously you probably won't know most of them. But at least as a smaller entrepreneur, if you're having you know, five, 10, 20 people, there's a fair oh, yeah. chance that you can actually know a bunch of those people up front before you hire them. And that's been one of the things that probably made the biggest difference for me in in my corporate career. So yeah, what, what's, what's your view and any, any good hints and tips on how to actually effectively use networking and, and getting to know people to, to find good employees or partners or whatever? Yeah, no, it's it's funny, you know, just listening to you tell your story, uh, it makes me think about it from both sides of the of the recruiting desk. Um, you know, having done recruitment and startups for a long time, um, most quality hires, to your point, come from a a curated group of folks. Uh, I've worked with with serial startup folks who, um, when they move to the new thing, they bring people along with them. And that tribe grows with each successive startup. Um, so getting into people's networks, getting into, uh, you know, creative circles with folks in the startup space is super important. And I think a lot of times, a lot of times we look at networking as kind of cumbersome. It's a burden. Uh, people feel they feel fake. They don't feel they, they feel like they're out there trying to schlock themselves up and and it's not that way at all on the other side of the desk, you know, from a, from a relationship standpoint, we look to build as many relationships as we can because we start in this place of what we call abundance and generosity. Right. Um, I've worked with so many leaders who, especially startup folks who come from this scarcity mindset, they have a unique idea and they, they, they want to protect that idea, which I totally understand. Um, but to be fully abundant, is, is a whole different game. And, and it, it changes the way folks will interact with you and your concepts and their willingness to, you know, sort of jump in front of a train for you over time. Definitely. I, I think one of the biggest thing I notice is purpose, right? So when I walk into a room full of people, or if I go into a meeting where, where I'm expecting to meet some people of value, uh, some <laughs> people I want to connect with and spend time with in the future, right? The key thing is always to go in with a very open mind. Like I would never walk into a room hoping to find a client or hoping to find an employee. I walk right. into the room to build effective relationships. And if those things come along, that's a side benefit, right? Mm -hmm. I think people who walk into those rooms, and I mean, I've been in these networking meetings where you're hardly walking in the door and you have five, uh, five cards in your hand business cards in your hand from random people trying to sell you anything from office chairs to uh, <laughs> funeral appointments or whatever right like and, and it, it's not necessarily it, in that order <laughs> exactly and and the whole thing is that it's it's not about it's not about sales i mean the way you sell is not handing someone a a, a business card right the way you sell right. from my experience at least is building solid relationships with people. When you have a good relationship and people trust you, then you can start talking about what you do. And at that point, you can then start saying, hey, well, you know, do you need my service? Or even better, do you know someone that needs my service? Because here's the thing, when you find a random person at a networking event, the likelihood they will buy from you is pretty slim. Pretty slim. But, but if they know someone that can buy from you and they actually refer them to you, the chance of converting a referral 
is many, many times higher. And yeah, you obviously yeah. make a friend for life. I totally agree. You know, we, we call that the no ask networking, right? You, when, when you're in those situations, to your point, you are, you are far better served going in there with no ask on the outset, right? We put together a system uh, for networking for folks who are trying to figure out what they want to do next in life. And we call it, we call it 2515. And, and it's a, a system that we, we, we built 2515 is just a way to remember how to keep track of the networking interactions that you're willing to put out there, right? It's a goal, if you will. Um, if you've got the time, it's a daily goal. If you don't, it's a weekly goal. You decide what the, what the container is. But those numbers mean three things. So what we try to get people to, to get their minds around is, you know, what something you said sparked this for me. When you're on other people's radar, when something comes up in their ecosystems, in their networks, the chances of you getting that referral are much higher, right? Versus nobody, nobody knowing who you are, or what you're doing, right? So the, the notion of 2515 is, like I said, a way to keep track of the potential interactions in a day or a week or a month or whatever. Uh, two is face-to-face -face meetings or meetings on Zoom where you can see the other person's eyeballs, right? That's your objective. Five, is five reach outs. And, and that's whether that's uh, attempted phone call, text message, LinkedIn message, email, whatever, right? Five of those. And then you, you want to try to get to 15 total reach outs in a day, right? Your choice of venue, your choice of platform. Because what happens, it's like a little flywheel, right? You do that for two or three days um, and, and there's power there. Right. The phone thing is really fun for me because nobody answers their phones anymore. Right. Nobody answers the telephone. Um, if they do, they say things like, why don't you text me? Why are you calling me? So you call people. It's not a huge time commitment on your part because you're probably going to get their voicemail. You leave them a voicemail and you move on with your day. I used to do this getting into the car after a meeting. I would I would do what I called spin the phone. You open up your contacts on your phone and you just give it a spin and then stop it. And whoever it stops on, that's the person getting a phone call for me today. And I would call them. They wouldn't answer. And I would leave a message. Hey, Mads, just thinking about you. You popped into my head today. Was wondering how you're doing. Love to catch up sometime. See how you're doing. Hear your story. And that's it. Yeah. No ask. And that's you do great. That for that's great. Except what I, what I realized is no one checked their voicemails either. <laughs> <laughs> what, what usually happens with me is it takes about three or four days. And then people start to call you back or they text you or they email you, they reach back out. And then you do this for three or four days. And now you're, you're struggling to keep up with the volume of inbound traffic that you didn't have before. And it's, it's from that point of, I'm not trying to, to get something, you know, like from a recruitment standpoint, I'm not saying, Hey Mads, I need a job. Do you know anybody that can help me out? That's, that's, that's a subsequent conversation, right? The initial volley is just to, just to reconnect, just to open that channel, just to become on that person's radar. Because then when we do connect and you share your story and I share mine, I'll tell you if I'm looking for a gig or I'm helping to, to bring on some new clients or whatever my objectives are. But people are much more likely to engage in that conversation if you're not shoving that funeral appointment business card in their hand as they walk in the door. Totally, totally. And I, I think also uh, fundamentally, I mean, I think most people have probably heard that advice, but 
you know, it's always about providing value. It's always about helping people and connecting people. And mm -hmm. in, in my experience, there's, there's no easier way to network than actually, you know, when you're talking with people, when you hear about some of the challenges they have, or when you hear about some of the things they're going through, like connect them with someone great, connect them with someone that can be yeah. helpful, connect them with someone. All right. And then yeah. when you're just starting out, you might feel like you don't know many people and, and that's fair enough, but that's okay. Sometimes what happens, and, and it tends to happen more and more frequently, the more people you know, but someone mentioned they have a problem and, you know, that can be, that can be them trying to find someone to replace the windows at, at their home, or right. that can be someone who is, you know, dealing with a difficult employee and, you know, someone that's good at that, or it, it doesn't really matter what it is, but if you totally can help right. another human being, uh, if you ever need it back, or if you ever need help in return, or just need help in general, they're so much more likely and willing to help, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, <clears throat> we're, we're working on, on our second book, uh, a follow-up to my business partner's book called Cultivate the Power of Winning Relationships. And this is called Better Work Together. And it's about what it means to be an ally and, and to show up in relationships intentionally. And this concept that you're just talking about is, is step one in our framework. And it's abundance and generosity, Right. And it's, it's interesting. When I first started working with Morag, I asked her a question. I said, who who are your competitors? And she got kind of this crumply forehead look. And she said, huh, it's a good question. She said, I don't really know. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, I kind of look at it this way. I mean, there's a lot of work out there. And if something comes through the door that doesn't fit what we do, I, I just recommend other people that are better at that than we are. Because everybody that does what we do, this sort of generic leadership development space, there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of areas to, to specialize. Um, and that philosophy has served us super well because the work that we've passed on to other people, I mean, that, <laughs> that karma bucket has been filled back up on our side, you know, tenfold as a result of coming into it with that idea. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, and I mean, I see it. I've, I've, I've been in networks, you know, where, where people are like, I probably even be kicked out of one or two network because I was, <laughs> you know, I was in competing niche to someone else and so on. And actually, so I, I remember back from my corporate days, um, one, one of my earlier jobs, I was actually applying for a promotion and I ended up helping my direct competitor for the promotion so much that she ended up getting the job instead. And everyone was like, oh, you're so stupid and, you know, all, <laughs> this, all this good stuff. But, but I think that the whole thing is that um, when, when you're on a mission to make a difference, it, it doesn't like it, it's not about right now, right here, right now. Right. Yeah. I think, I think you get so much more value out of life if you actually put in what you can and do what you can for other people. I'm not saying don't do anything for yourself. Definitely. Oh, do, of course not. But if, if and, and actually that, that's a great quote by um, oh, what's his name guy that passed away uh, what's Six Sigma the, basically the more people you help uh, oh, the yeah. more successful you'll be or something along those lines he, 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 yeah Zig Ziglar he said you Zig get Zig. yeah he says you get the more things that you want by helping other people get the things that they want yeah and absolutely 
that's a chord that I've always been very, very close to me because I, I, I believe again in the, just in the reciprocity and just in, yeah, the goodness well, of people. And, yeah. and, and reciprocity is a real thing. People, that people actually feel that and feel inclined to take action against that. Yep. But, you know, you think about it, something you said just, just sparked another thought in me. Um, competing for a position inside an organization, right? I worked in HR for 20 years and we saw this all the time. Um, and it can get pretty cutthroat in that competition. Now, as candidates, if you and I are candidates for the job, the internal promotion, we probably know from a company perspective, from a from an outside-in client perspective, we probably know between the two of us which one of us is better suited for the role that would be better for the business, better for the objectives, better for the clients, right? And a lot of times I'll know that's you and I will fight you and I will try my best to beat you. And, and what's really interesting to me about that is that in that type of environment, at the end of the, uh, the, of the competition, we're not better. Chances are the company's not better and the clients will suffer, right? Because I, I know that you should have this job. You're more tied in with this client or this process or whatever. Um, but I got hung up in the ego-driven competition of it all and my abundance and generosity went out the window, right? But to your point, when you said that your competitor got the job and people said, oh, you're so stupid, my, my thought was, are you? Because I bet that came back to serve you well later in time. Of course, yeah, of course. Uh, what, I, what I would say as well, like I've been in a few situations where I've got promoted instead of someone else. And that's often like, particularly if you get promoted in to be the boss of someone that you have been competing with the role about, that's often a very difficult situation in many companies. Oh, peer to manager transition is hard. It's also, it's also for me, it's been some of the most fun and some of the best opportunities to do the, not just the right thing, but mm -hmm. really show the person that you were competing with the, for with under role really yep. show them how to do things the right way because yeah uh, that there's often a lot of you know difficult feelings there's a lot of difficult things and i mean i've, I've had a couple of times where i've had to sit down with someone and say you know hey i i know we both applied for the job i know you were also super eager to get it and mm -hmm. I, I will do what i can to make sure that you know, the next time there's an opportunity that it's it's going to be your turn. And, you know, my goal here is not to to take away your opportunity. My goal here right. is is solely to make you as well prepared for the next opportunity so that you will succeed. And, you know, it, 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 I mean, you can go through it in a, in a few different ways. But the whole thing is that uh, most people, what they do is they're so eager to prove themselves that they yeah. will try and keep a potential competitor away. Yeah. And basically, like, keep them out of the loop, right? Because, and, and, oh, and then, what and if then, I fail and they're, they're standing there ready to take over and so on. Right. But, uh, opening opening up and bringing them in is weakness. I become vulnerable, right? Exactly. But, but we, doing we, the exact opposite uh, have worked out extremely well for me on a couple oh. of occasions. Absolutely. Right. In our in our framework for, for what it means to be an ally, the third component in there is courage and vulnerability. Right. You have to be vulnerable. 
right? You can even look, I mean, Brene Brown's research has gone mainstream. Everybody loves a good Brene Brown book these days. And what she says is, is that when you are able to let your guard down, be your authentic self and be vulnerable, the other person is more likely to do that too. And that's when the magic happens. When you come into the arena with your armor on and your guards up, well, we can dance around like feral cats all day long and not ever get anywhere. It's going to be rough, but that it's, it's tough because as well, especially as, as, as Americans in American business, we get socialized to believe that to be vulnerable is to be weak and, and weakness equals opportunities for other people, right? You're the bloody antelope at the back of the pack. That's going to get eaten by the lions. And that's not, that's not usually how it works. If both parties can come to the table willing to let the guard down, willing to say the things that they need to say. You know, I loved what you said about sitting down with that person and explaining to them how you're going to help them. Yeah. It's real hard to stay mad at somebody that's trying to help you. Exactly. And, and here's the thing, what, what I learned very quickly corporate and what, what it took a, long, a lot of people a very long time to learn is the fact that, you know, you don't get promoted when you're great. You get promoted <laughs> when you're not needed. Right. So if you want to get promoted, make yourself not needed. And a lot of people see that as a not just a vulnerability, but they see it as, a, oh, I might get fired if I'm not needed. But right. reality is that when you put yourself in a place where the team can run without you, then the, you, know, you are in the ideal position for promotion. And someone that can put a team in shape to run without them is, you know, you want more of those people in your business. Yeah, you know, you know, Mads, it makes me think about uh, about startups and, you know, everybody's running lean and everybody's doing more than one job. And um, at some point, the, the, the scale tips and you've got to start to specialize and you've got to start to empower the people that you're bringing in to work around you. And that's hard for folks who got really good at doing a thing, giving up doing the thing to do a different thing, manage people is, is hard, especially for, for folks who are, who are pretty hardcore at the thing that they do. And, and I, in my experience, the more technically oriented they are, the harder that is to let go. Um, not because they don't want to, but because they don't know how to. Exactly. And that it, it comes down to, again, from, I, I see the same thing. Uh, I, I don't even consider it particularly hard. Because reality is like most of the time when I start working with clients, like they all come in, they say the same thing. Oh, I don't like managing people. You know, can I just hire someone <laughs> to do it for me? And it, it's literally, I mean, you're, you're literally talking at day's training, if even. And with that going out the door, right? They literally come back a week or two later and they're like, oh, actually, you know, I stopped liking this thing. And it's just like, I mean, <laughs> if you have never coded before, the first time right. you sit down and look it's at real hard. Code, it's real hard. It's real difficult. There's, there's no training or, you know, you, you have to figure it out yourself. And the problem is that most people are trying to figure out management all by themselves instead mm -hmm. of getting a little bit training and a little bit support that will just take them so much further. But the amount of people I've had come through my door that have said, you know, oh, I don't like managing people. I don't want to manage people. And 
I mean, a matter of months later, come back and say, wow, I love managing people is, I mean, many, many people. And it's just that it's knowing how to do because most entrepreneurs, they're, they're great at they're great at solving problems. They're great at learning because else they wouldn't have gotten to where they were in the first place. All right. Absolutely. Um, but you need the foundation. It's a bit like learning a language to just travel to another country. If you don't know the basics of basics, it's a lot harder getting yeah. started. Yeah, no, for sure. It, it, it's, it's pretty fascinating. You know, I, I think every, I agree with everything you just said. It's the hurdle. It's that willingness hurdle. I don't want to manage people. I don't like it. Um, and to get over that that willingness hurdle means to to lay the guard down a little bit, take whatever they're hearing from you or whomever they're talking to for what it's worth, and being willing to step into things, knowing you're going to screw stuff up. Right? You're interacting with people, and human beings are messy. They're not consistent. They don't do the same thing. When you punch the button, it doesn't run the same routine like software, right? You're going to get different reactions from different folks, sometimes given the same stimulus, right? Um, and that scares some people. And in dealing with human beings, we have to have conversations that are fun and easy. And we have to have conversations that are not so fun nor easy. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sure you can relate. Uh, I've worked with a lot of, of managers from a coaching perspective where we spend a lot of time talking about this upcoming conversation that they're really super stressed about. They're all worked up about it. They're totally in their heads about it. They're scenario planning everything that could possibly go wrong. They go in, they hold their breath, they do the conversation and I have yet to have a situation where they came back and said, that was way worse than anything I could dream up. Right. They always come back and go, Oh, that wasn't so bad. You know, yeah. if they're addressing like an employee performance issue, 90% of the time, the employee knows there's an issue. They may not understand the severity or the stakes, but they know, they know they're not killing it. Yeah. <laughs> often, often. I would say that there's definitely managers that have been so bad at giving feedback that the employees aren't aware. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. Often people know when it's a performance challenge. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I like that a lot. So my second thing, one of the things I, I fundamentally believe in is, is as a leader is building extremely strong relationships with your team. And I, I have a particular one-to-one -one framework that I normally recommend people to use. But I think it's very, very clear that building strong relationship with your team and actually just investing time with the people that you manage, mm. it's one of the best investments you can make. And this is, again, where a lot of entrepreneurs totally. go wrong because they're, they're so busy working, doing the work, instead of being a leader, <laughs> instead of being a manager, instead of being a business owner. So what, yeah, what's your experience it, with that? <laughs> it's funny. I, I totally agree. And I think one-on-one -on -one time, uh, especially in small organizations, is super critical. It, it's the meeting that if we bothered to have it scheduled on the calendar, it's one that tends to get canceled because any other priority comes up. This one's easy to, to ditch to next week or not, right? Um, so I, I totally agree with you. Uh, another behavior that I see entrepreneurs make a, a, a mistake, I think, um, high performers, people that are doing really well in their subject area, um, 
<laughs> entrepreneurial leaders tend to go, you know what? Mads is killing it over there right now. I'm going to stay out of his way. And the research shows, right? The biggest bang for your buck in coaching time spent is with your superstars, right? It's not trying to fix the problems that are down deeper in the organizations. It's with those employees who are out there just getting it done because they want that feedback. They, they want that conversation and they want to know what's coming down the pike. Like what's next for me? Um, I've seen many instances of those really high performing employees essentially get painted into a corner because they were really good at doing a thing. And then the business kind of grew around it. And the, the CEO said, well, I can't have mad stop doing that. He's the only one that knows how to do that now. And then Mads quits because he doesn't want to do that anymore. So yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. And I, I think what I see a lot in, in that regard is, is both that, but it's also the fact that um, when you're dealing with higher performers, right, it's not just that they want the feedback, but it's as much the fact that they are there from a time investment and from a company investment and a development standpoint, if you invest an hour in them, they develop so much faster and so much more than a low performance. Totally. Totally right. agree. We spend a lot of time as managers trying to fix problems. Um, you know, it's the whole uh, mindset shift from fixing broken things to playing to your strengths. Right. And exactly. That, that was exactly where I was going. So the, the whole point is that, you know, as individuals, if you want the most out of yourself, you want to do the same thing. You want to focus on the things you're very, very good at instead of the things you're not so good at. And because again, <laughs> the more you invest into your natural strength, the more and the better return you get compared totally. to investing into things that you're not good at. So why is it so hard to get some entrepreneurial leaders to surround themselves with people that are actually better than them at stuff. It's very simple. People like people that communicate the way they communicate. Totally. And the difficulty is that when you surround yourself with people that communicate like you, they typically have the same natural strength and same natural weaknesses. And that's fundamentally, that's what drives that behavior, right? And, and you have this good old management saying that, uh, you know, people, people or leaders always hire people like themselves. And that, is, mm -hmm. that actually comes down to communication specifically. So they hire people that communicate in a similar way that they do because that's who they're most comfortable with. Yeah, I totally get that. We call that the just like me bias. When you're talking about hiring folks, you know, we talk about building teams that supplement skill sets, that complement skill sets, that that uh, that we talk about the risks when we're working with a team in a team development context. You know, we do you know, we'll do a psychometric assessment to get a, a, a glimpse at what people's preferences and tendencies are. And then when we find that they're all aligned around a similar set of preferences and tendencies, we talk about, OK, what are the risks? Right. What are the mindsets and approaches that are missing from this team? You know, if we're all a type driver doers, right, who's who's actually doing the data analysis and the research and making sure that we're we're actually making the right calls because we we like to move fast. We like to think out loud and all of our collective itches are getting scratched. But are we being effective? Maybe, maybe not. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Right. Any other sort of in in the business 
areas where where you feel relationships and communication is is very critical yeah i mean i think i think one of the most oft overlooked relationships and we talk about this in morag's first book cultivate um is is our peer relationships peer relationships have the opportunity to to sabotage our success in a way that i think we often take for granted um you know, a lot of times we'll work with with managers and they'll say, oh, well, there's no rival behavior on my team. And I'll, I will question that um, because for years, you know, I worked in organizations where I worked in HR and I did a job and I was on a team, not really a team team, but we all did the same job in parallel. Um, and I, I can guarantee you, we got along great. Everybody was buddies and it was super friendly and we had a lot of laughs. But when it came time for promotion or performance management, the competition got pretty stiff because there's only so many dollars for merit. There's only so many fives we can give in our performance management force distribution. There's only so many cool projects and there's only so many promotions. And for as much as I love working with you on that cool, you know, uh, employee engagement initiative that we did this year, when it comes time for who's getting the promotion, I'll start swinging elbows if I have to. So that rival behavior can can actually undermine your success. And I think it happens in, in a way that's it's, it's almost insidious, right? Because we don't pay attention to it. We, we don't always nurture those peer relationships because if I'm the marketing person and you're the finance guy, you know, we're going to come together on a project or two. But most of the time we leave each other alone but maybe you have the ear of the CEO in a way that I don't. And if we get at cross purposes, sometimes that may come back to bite me and I may not even be tuned into that possibility. Yeah. So I think the notion of, of, of cultivating your peer relationships or at least doing a pulse check on a regular basis to see where you are is, is probably better for everybody to keep you from getting blindsided. Yep. And I, I think both in small businesses and in big companies, I mean, so my, my experience from the corporate world was uh, I, I learned very quickly and very early on that uh, getting to know people and building relationships helps significantly. And like I, I would I would spend a good bit of time, you know, getting to know everyone, getting to know the receptionist, getting to know absolutely. Because here's the thing: when you have a problem, that's often the people who can help you. And again, you don't necessarily get to know them just so they can help you. <laughs> But right. when you know those people, like if you, you know, you have something you need to pick up after hours and normally you can't get into the building, but you know, the security guard really good. So, you know, you get your yeah. in or whatever, God knows what <laughs> yeah. it could be. Right. Um, but, but having those relationships and, and being able to, to build those relationships on a consistent basis is so important. Critical. And, and again, just like networking, there's so many people that are looking at, there's no value for me in building a relationship with this person. So, you know, I don't want to waste the time on it, but it's, it's yeah. often the wrong approach. And to your point, right? Organizational position does not matter, right? As you were talking, it reminded me of a, of a situation we had in, in an organization. We had a, an executive who could be pretty cranky, right? There were days you wanted to go in there and there were days you didn't want to go in there. And he had this vein in his head that would pop out when he got worked up. And uh, I, I, I got to know his admin really well. And I could walk up there in the morning and go, so how's the vein today? And she would look at me and go, mm, 
Not today. Okay. I'm going to move on and I'm going to come back on a day when my propensity to succeed is higher. And it was interesting because uh, enough people started doing that with her that she had a clock above her desk that didn't work. And she started setting the clock so that we would all know what the current status of the vein was. If the clock was set at nine o'clock, you knew this was a good day to go in, go to work. If the clock was set to 5 p.m., cruise on by. You don't even have to interact with her. She's already signaling to you, today is not a good day for you to go do anything with this leader. Um, no. So the, the power in that relationship, I mean, that's not a thing that you could explain to people to expect. That's a, an outcome of, of the quality of the relationship that you build. And investing in those relationships, irrespective of what they might be able to do for you, is, is a is a roadblock for some people. But I think your story is, is is spot on, and it can be where some of the most meaningful breakthroughs come. Definitely, definitely. And again, I mean, it's the same thing in life, right? Like you want to do the same thing as much as you can. Like I, I was lucky enough to join a, an organization called Toastmasters many years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and I was super happy right. with that, particularly, I, I joined it for learning more communication and public speaking and so on. But the whole thing was that I ended up meeting people all around the world uh, in these clubs. And the thing is, I know wherever I go in the world, if I walk into a Toastmaster meeting, it's generally the type of people that I want to hang around. And right. the amount of people I've hired, the amount of clients I've had from it, the amount of great friends I've had come out of it and all of that's good stuff. It's, I mean, yeah, I, I, I couldn't count it on, on two hands at least. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, about, it's about that. It's about finding your people. It's about finding finding environments and, and understanding like what are the people that you know both you enjoy hanging out with and hanging around and who are the people that you know help benefit not benefit from necessarily a selfish point of view but benefit from a you know i can learn something or you know we, yeah. we love exchanging ideas and we can, yeah, we yeah. can help each other and all that kind of point of view and i think i think that Doing that and actually putting time into networking in that sense is so important. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, a lot of the work that we do is is focused on the people side of the business. And sometimes we'll go into these hard charging executive meetings to talk to them about what's going on with their leadership and team development. And they'll say things like, look, we don't have time for this soft, fluffy people skills stuff. Right. We got real work to do. We got real problems to focus on. And, you know, it, it's funny. In my 25 plus years of doing this work, um, the people stuff is the hard stuff. It's not the nice to have. It's the must have because it's the thing that can derail you from the greatest idea that, that's ever existed on Earth. Right. If you don't get the people stuff right your propensity to succeed is, is going down, right? Yeah. People stuff is, is, is not a thing that you think about later. And it, it's, it's interesting to me because a lot of times I think with entrepreneurs and, and, and in startup environments, you say things about, you know, formalizing or at least making things more intentional around the people side of the business and, and you get pushback, right? It's, it's too early. 
right? It's too, it's too, everything is too moving too quickly and changing too fast right now. Um, we'll get to that later. Um, and I argue that you really can't start that early enough because in, <laughs> I can't tell you how many experiences I've had where that startup gets to be about a hundred people and they come to me and say, we need to think about all this people stuff. I'm like, yeah, you do. You actually needed to think about it about 35 employees ago um, because now it's harder, right? Now we have complexity and we have patterns that have been established that are harder to undo. Yep. Totally, totally. And I think, I think fundamentally, I mean, you're correct. It, it happens again and again and again, and it, it happens in most businesses, right? Yeah. And I think, I think again, for me, the, the whole point is not thinking of it as a people thing, but, but I, I look at it fundamentally as, as core management, right? If you want to run a company and like most people, if you haven't got the experience in working with leaders or working as a manager and in a managerial type of role, like go out there and invest, right? Like everyone, yeah. they, they buy books on, you know, marketing, they, they go to courses and all sorts of marketing and sales and yeah, but that's real work, Mads. That's hard finance. stuff, right? <laughs> exactly. But, but, but here's the thing, the best output come from investing in people. Like absolutely. When you have a manager, I mean, I've literally walked into companies where, you know, they have five, six, seven managers and, you know, literally a couple hours with these people. And, you know, two months later, the results they deliver is like miles apart. Yeah, just totally. with some basic skills and just some basic learnings. And I, I think fundamentally that it, it's a shame that so many companies are missing out just because they don't see the importance or understand the importance of, of the leadership skills, right? I'm wondering how that's shifting, you know, um, as, as the generational shift starts to happen, you know, millennials aren't, aren't 20s anymore, and we've got more millennials and Gen Zers moving into management roles. And the things that are important to them are different than the things that were important to boomers and Xers. And I'm wondering if that mindset is going to shift slightly into, you know, more of a values-based approach. Who are we? What are we all about? And how do we get on the, how do we get on the same page? How do we align? Yeah, I, I wish, I mean, I've, I've been at this for, for about eight years now and I wish I could say things were changing, but unfortunately <laughs> I don't see that. Uh, now, I mean, I'm still hoping because again, like, in most business, one of the one of the key things that, that really made the difference to me when I was managing in, in, in a bigger corporation myself was the, was understanding performance. So <laughs> basically, <laughs> if someone is not performing well at their job, <laughs> what happens is they're significantly more likely to be unhappy at home. Oh, yeah. However, if people are performing well at their job, Mm -hmm. they're significantly more likely to be happy at home. Yep. So if you have people that are not performing and you're not either taking action to help them or taking action to get them out of the business, and again, you want to do that if it's the wrong person in the wrong job. For sure, for sure. Right? But uh -huh. if you're not taking those actions, you're basically helping or supporting that individual <laughs> in staying unhappy. Right. Oh, now, I love this take. This this is manager manager guilt. I love it. 
<laughs> if, if you want to help, if you want to help your staff stay unhappy, right? That right. is definitely something you can do. But the, uh, the reason why I love looking at it like this is the fact that most people think they're doing people a favor when they're yeah. not letting them go. When they're, yeah, totally. You know, but it's funny. Thing, um, you said it in the beginning people often know when they're not performing. And if you're conscious that you're doing a bad job, yeah. but you don't have the sort of, the, you know, you don't have the drive. You, you say you want to look for a new job, but most people never do anything about it. Right. You know, it's funny, uh, working in, in startups and tech for so long, I, I've had the pleasure, displeasure of developing a core competency in doing riffs and layoffs. And in, in the course of my career, I've laid off over 3,500 people, right? Not super proud of that, but just kind of the way the cookie crumbled. Um, so I've had a lot of reps in, in having those difficult conversations and they're terrible, right? I've had the desk turned over on me. I've been punched in the face. I've had, I've had the evil leer from the family member in the living room as I'm having this conversation in someone's kitchen, right? That's the in the moment, right? After the fact. I've had so many of these. I can't even tell you. I was I was in the mall one day nearby here in Metro Denver, and I'm just walking through the mall, minding my own business. And this guy comes up to me and he says, Eric. And I said, hey, man, I don't remember who it was. And he said, remember when you laid me off? I did not. He said, OK, he said it was a really tough day. I'd been doing that job for eight years and I thought that that was what I was supposed to be doing with my life. I was wrong. He said, so I just wanted to say thank you. I said, okay, you're welcome. I said, what are you doing now? And he said, today I serve up happiness. And I said, okay, what does that mean? And he told me he had opened an ice cream shop. He at this point owned two of them and he goes to work every day with the intention of serving happiness to other human beings. And the dude was just flying high, super happy. I had never, I didn't know that person in his old context. Um, so it, it's interesting, right? I, to your point, I think we think we're doing people a favor by not addressing those issues or, or, you know, letting people go when we have to. Um, and, and we're not, we we may be in unintentionally hurting them. I like your concept of if they're unhappy at work, they're probably unhappy at home. And you own some culpability in that manager. And if you're not stepping in there and having those conversations, you know, our the the, the fourth step in our model of, of of being an ally is about candor and abate. And it's about saying the things that need to be said. And and I mean fundamentally it's it, this doesn't mean go out and fire everyone. It no, means get everyone to a point where they're doing great work, right? And yeah, whatever that means. But but yeah, it's it's key, right? And and just the, but it's the, hard. Everything. It's hard because people don't like conflict. People don't like going into those sticky, messy human interactions where I can't predict what your behavior is going to be. Hundred <laughs> percent. Right, Eric. Awesome conversation. Awesome conversation. Yeah, a lot of fun. Any, any amazing hints, tips, resources here at the end before we finish off that you want to share with the audience? Yeah, I mean, if I was going to narrow it down to, to one core thing that 
you could do as a business leader or entrepreneur. Um, it would be invest in those relationships. I love the mechanism of one-on-ones to your point, Mads. Um, don't scrimp on the one-on-ones. One of the, the, the tips I give my managers that I coach is uh, let the employee choose the frequency of the one-on-one, whether it's monthly or weekly or whatever, um, and let them own the invitation to the meeting. So you can't just delete it off your calendar. You kind of have to ask to cancel or reschedule. And then they own the power of rescheduling it. Cause I see it get canceled so often when I, the manager own the invite, I just delete it off and I shoot you a text and say, Hey, we'll, we'll get together next week, which we may or may not do. Um, and if you can't develop, you can't spend the time to develop that relationship in, in a thoughtful, meaningful way. We have a tip. It's called the relationship pulse check. It is the easiest thing in the world to do. So if you take nothing else away from our time together today, it's the pulse check. If you can carve out enough time to ask these three questions to the folks who work for you, who work on your team, you can ask them what's working well right now in our relationship. What's not working well, right? Super easy. What's one thing that I can do to help ensure your or our, our mutual success? What's working well, what's not working well, what's one thing I can do to help here? That's it. It's a game changer. Um, I, I've seen it become uh, institutionalized in several organizations where as part of the one-on-one process, the employees expect those questions. First time it's weird. It's like, it's like your first dance in middle school and you gotta go ask somebody to dance. That's awkward and nobody likes it. Asking the what's working, what's not working, how can I help question is awkward the first time you do it. But once it becomes part of how we interact, part of how we communicate, I expect it and I have things to say. And it changes the nature of relationships. So to your point, Mads, managing people doesn't have to be hard. We don't have to make it hard. Um, it, it, it's, it's about investing in the relationships, getting to know people and, and helping them to be successful inside the, the organization. Fantastic, Eric. If people are eager to get hold of you, or talk to you or whatever, what's the best way of connecting? Yeah, um, skyteam.com is our website. Um, I am Eric at skyteam.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I host a, a podcast for HR people called The Corporate Bartender. We do a, uh, a weekly podcast. It's kind of a live podcast with the studio audience. So if you are an HR person and interested in that sort of thing, Corporate Bartender, you can find it on all of your podcast platforms. Uh, look for our new book, Better Work Together, coming out October 2022. Uh, we're excited about it. Um, it's the follow-up to this book, Cultivate the Power of Winning Relationships. Um, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really useful and helpful to a lot of folks in this management and leadership space. Thanks for having me on, Mads. It's been a blast. Awesome, Eric. Thank you very much. And to the audience, we'll be back again next week. Thank you for hanging on all the way to the end. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.